So milk kefir is a fermented drink where we've put something called kefir grains, which are actually not really grains. It's not like a food grain. It's a little cluster that looks a bit like a cauliflower. So we put a whole bunch of these little cauliflowers, also known as scobies. So scoby is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeasts. So we put this culture into milk and it eats the lactose in the milk. And in return, it gives us back a fermented milk beverage, which is full of probiotics. So those little clusters are little clusters of bacteria and yeasts. They eat the lactose in the milk, and in return, they give us back quite a large variety of beneficial bacteria and yeasts. In milk kefir, your average milk kefir has anywhere between 20 and 40 different strains of good bacteria. So it's the most amazing way to get good microbes back into your gut in a way that your body can assimilate quickly because it's pre-digested. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review, and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson. Hi, and welcome to the first Reinvent Health podcast of 2022. Did you know that the word kefir comes from a Turkish word meaning good feeling? On today's show, I'm chatting with Bronwyn Del Paggio of Numisa, a food company that makes authentic, traditionally fermented kefir. I recently met Bronwyn at a talk that I was giving on gut health. And just like so many of us, Bronwyn had a story behind the origin of her business and a passion for helping people. You can connect with Bronwyn through all of the usual social media channels listed in the show notes. Enjoy. So Brian, thanks for joining me today. Let's start with what got you interested in gut health and why kefir? Well, Nikki, um, if we go back about eight years, my daughter was struggling a lot with what we now know to be IBS. But in those days, it was just this continuous tummy ache. So she gets her stress in her tummy and that's kind of what we accepted was her, her challenge. But the tummy ache continued and continued with her regularly complaining, mommy, my tummy sore, my tummy sore. Um, and we tried the Buscopan and we tried the other things that we thought it was. I kept asking her maybe if she was constipated. Eventually, a lady at the church that I was at said to me, she's got these kefir grains and I must try and make milk kefir. I knew absolutely nothing about it whatsoever. So I got the kefir grains, went home, made up my first batch, and my family said there was not even a small chance that they were going to drink this frock milk. And we threw it away. After weeks of sitting in the fridge, we just threw it away. But of course, my daughter kept complaining. Um, and by then, my little boy also was starting to complain about tummy ache. At the same time, I actually took um, I took cornflakes out of their diet as, a, as my initial start because I realized yeah. that cornflakes were completely genetically modified and was causing a lot of tummy ache. So that was the first thing we did. That helped a bit. But the mommy, I've got a tummy ache, didn't stop. So eventually, I went back to this lady, got some more kefir, made some at home, and within two days, my kid was a different kid. She was like, mom, my, my tummy ache's gone. That's amazing. So to this day, she still drinks large glasses of kefir, especially if she's been bad in her diet. Um, and that was how we started the kefir journey. 
So then um, I made it at home. I made it for, for my kids at home and we all started drinking it. I discovered into that process of drinking it that kefir was the best thing I've ever discovered for constipation. So I'd suffered from constipation for quite a while and just a half a glass of kefir every day sorted that out. So now we had two people in the house happy. My little boy wasn't still crazy about drinking the kefir, but we managed to get a bit into him. And then I decided that um, we would just keep drinking it as much as we could. At the time, I had another business which was closing out. It was sort of the end of that business. And I decided to pursue the kefir. That's how we we started uh, what was called Numisa. It actually started out as Namisa. So Namisa was the food my little boy used, word he used for food. He would say, Mommy, I want Namisa. Give me Namisa. And I thought it was just the cutest word. So when I started the business, I tried to call it Namisa, but it then progressed into Numisa and then into Numi. That's, I was wondering, because new me sounds fantastic, but the origin is absolutely, is even more amazing. And it's, I I love how these things just progress, you know, and something's meant to be, it all falls into place. So what is, for those not, for those listening who don't know, what is kefir? I mean, you said granules, is it a bacteria? Um, And I know when you make the stuff at home and you sit frothing, you think, oh my goodness, that's off, but it's not off. So explain the process to us. Okay, so kefir, you get two kinds of kefir first. You get a water kefir and you get a milk kefir. I'm going to talk about the milk kefir first because that's the one that's more known around the world. So milk kefir is a fermented drink where we've put something called kefir grains, which are actually not really grains. It's not like a food grain. It's a little cluster that looks a bit like a cauliflower. So we put a whole bunch of these little cauliflowers, also known as scobies. So SCOBY is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeasts. So we put this culture into milk and it eats the lactose in the milk. And in return, it gives us back a fermented milk beverage, which is full of probiotics. So those little clusters are little clusters of bacteria and yeasts. They eat the lactose in the milk and in return, wow. they give us back quite a large variety of beneficial bacteria and yeasts. In milk kefir, your average milk kefir has anywhere between 20 and 40 different strains of good bacteria. So it's the most amazing okay. way to get good microbes back into your gut in a way that your body can assimilate quickly because it's pre-digested. Yeah, and you know, you know, we've all know that we should be eating, or most of us know that we should be eating a certain amount of fermented foods to help with digestion, to help balance the microbiome. So what is the difference mm-hmm. between a kefir and kombucha and yogurt? Is it similar? Is it different? Is it just part of a healthy eating picture? How would you position it? So kefir fits, I think, at the top of that group of fermented foods just because of the amount of microbes. When it comes to probiotics, it's about how many different strains can you get, as well as how many uh, billions or millions of CFUs. So CFUs are called colony-forming units. So kefir sits sort of at the top of that in terms of its diversity of different microbes. Kombucha is also a fermented beverage, which also has bacteria, but it has a lot of enzymes in it. So kombucha is really, really good as a digestive aid, you're going to get a lot of digestive enzymes and probiotics. Interesting. And it's a bit alcoholic as well. Some of them are more than others. Uh, some more than others. Even the water kefirs can be more than others. But what you find with kombucha is you've still got caffeine in it. 
So for for many of us, caffeine has now become something that we can't consume anymore. I think the stress stress in the yeah. world is just too high. Our bodies don't need any additional extras. Yeah. So kombucha's got the um, caffeine in it. Plus, it's got a far more acidic taste. It's got the Asiatic acid in, so it's got a far more acidic taste. Back in the day when people used to still make yogurt at home and when everything wasn't commercialized, yogurts used to have sort of three, four, five, six strains of bacteria. But these days it's difficult to find a live yogurt, a yogurt that's got all those beneficial microbes and that doesn't contain sweetener. Yeah. So sweetener is a killer of gut microbiome. So mm. you can't be making a yogurt and say it's good for your tummy and then put sweetener in it. That so you'd be better off drinking mass than nothing but you'd be better off having a variety. So your ultimate would be to have a little bit of kefir, a spoon of kimchi, a dash of sauerkraut, and maybe a sip or two of kombucha. And then you're getting a whole host of good bacteria in your in your plate every day. So what happens with commercial yogurt, as far as I understand, is firstly, you can't actually create a fermentation or bacterial overgrowth in a dairy product that has antibiotics in it. And most commercially farmed dairy cows are given uh, routine antibiotics, whether the manufacturer says they do or not, um, which means that it's not real yogurt, which means that there are thickeners and gelatines and things that make it appear to be yogurt. And yes, they can add synthetic um, bacterial strains in there so that their labeling can be ticked off, but it doesn't mean it's doing you any good. So as a consumer, you've got to be very, very aware of this, I'm not saying go, don't go buy, look, in my opinion, a, a, a pink fruit yogurt, um, so-called fruit yogurt from a supermarket is just melted ice cream, frankly. You're giving your child an ice cream for breakfast if that's the way you're going. It's not a health food. A health, a healthy fermented product should smell not appealing. It's a thing, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> it's something that kids have to get used to. And up Parents grew up with, with fermented yogurt that smelled like something that crawled out from under a, a cupboard, but we were used to it. We enjoyed it. You know, the, it's, it's tastes have changed because they've been engineered to change and our microbiome has suffered as well, um, which I think is such a tragedy. Yeah. And yes, you see it in your children and that is the thing that, that forces us to, to do things differently. So something interesting is that um, yogurt currently causes, I think, more sinusitis and allergies amongst kids than anything else because the parents believe that they're doing good by their kids. But that yogurt, if you had to take that yogurt and try and create another yogurt from it, it wouldn't grow, which tells you that there's not enough bacteria in there to create a new colony. And if there's not enough, if there's not enough bacteria in there, you couldn't actually do anything for your gut because the guys that you need are, are missing. That's that's the acid so test. That makes it yes, pointless. because you make yogurt from yogurt. Um, you rely on that bacteria. And yep. I think, you know, the really important thing about having the, about any of these messages that we're trying to get out there is simply to educate people to go, not saying don't support this one, don't support that one, but know how these things are made so you can make a better choice for yourself and your family. And obviously people are going to choose differently when they really understand that that cream soda flavored blue bubblegum stuff is not yogurt, for goodness sakes. Um, you mentioned earlier the SCOBY, that it's a bacteria, um, those those colonies uh, that you put into into yes. the the dairy or the water. Yeah, when you make kombucha, you've also got a scoby, but that's like a rubbery, slimy thing. Is it just a different bacteria? <laughs> so it's a different it's a different bacteria. So your scoby that sits on top of kombucha looks a bit like an alien, definitely. 
And when you first encounter a kombucha scoby on the top of someone's fridge and they ask if you'd like some, you're like, there's no way I'm drinking that. But once you learn a bit more about scobies and you understand that that is what they look like. So your kombucha scoby is a big circle, but it'll actually grow to whatever the size of your fermentation container is. And it grows layer upon layer. Whereas your kefir, your milk kefirs look like little clusters of cauliflowers and your water kefir looks like something called florist ice. They're little, um, not quite see-through, but almost opaque little blocks of the squishy stuff that you can squish with your fingers. That's what the cultures look like. So, yeah, what yeah. we're looking for in gut health is also that the the our insides, our microbiome is trying to make, we're trying to make our own colonies. So when you are dependent on something like a probiotic, you have to keep taking that because it doesn't encourage the microbiome to make its own colonies. But when you a couple of times a week have kefir or the right yogurt or the, you know, um, those kinds of products, it encourages your, your gut to make its own healthy colonies. And that in the long term is going to save your fortune but it's also healthier because your gut knows what it needs more or less of and what you're doing with something like kefir is simply seeding the microbiome with the potential to make what it needs at any given time so at some point when you are not well you'll need certain strains of one bacteria and less of another and because of the intelligence of the of the immune system it knows how to do that if it's given the ingredients so i think that um Kefir and kombucha are, are just some of those things that that help do this in a way that's non-detrimental. So any fermented food is pre-digested. That means it arrives in the body already half-processed and it makes it straight the way through the gut. So a lot of your prebiotic or your probiotic, shall I say, capsules, you don't know that you're going to get a live probiotic on the end. Whereas with kefir, you guaranteed a live probiotic. And if you want to test it, please leave your bottle out the fridge and watch it. And you will yes. see that the bottle continues to grow quite fat. And we've had many customers tell us, your kefir's off. And we're like, no, no, our kefir is alive, but you've got to keep it in the fridge. Please keep it in yes. the fridge. Yes, even if you keep it, in, keep it in the fridge too long, because you gave me a lot of samples. Um, if you don't use it in time, it will it'll start walking around by itself. So yeah. it is. So what I find really fascinating is a lot of the probiotics on the shelves are dead already. So you're buying something that's inert in the hope that it's going to fix you. Most people don't know this. They don't know that, you know, this 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 generic product on the shelf is has nothing in it. That thing, maybe it started off live, but it died very quickly once it had been processed. And also our gut bacteria destroy a lot of that before it has a chance to populate the intestines and the colon, which is where it's needed as well. So having something that, yeah. like you say, is pre-digested makes it through that process a lot more, a lot more efficiently. Okay. So I've had um, a lady at one point, she was a someone who sold wine and she had terrible heartburn. I think obviously her gut was probably not that happy. And she became a regular kefir buyer. And when we eventually got in touch with her and asked her what it was, she said that it sorted out her heartburn. So she would drink a bottle of water kefir every day and that would reduce her heartburn. So she probably had an overgrowth of an H. pylori or something in, in her tummy. Um, and a lot of people we meet go to the doctors. They've got this overgrowth. They've got this constant reflux and heartburn. Doctors give them... Uh, antacids, suppressants for, for the gut. And if anything, they now help that bad bacteria to overgrow in the gut, which leads to all kinds of a lack of digestion and, and the other things that come from reducing your tummy acid. 
which is yeah, really important. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Look, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, they have a place, I suppose, for short-term use, but the way that they're prescribed is usually for long-term use, and that's causing more damage in the long term. But I think doctors are getting slowly more and more mm -hmm. aware of this. It's really nice. Look, at least in my sphere of doctors that I work with, they understand these things. So it's becoming, I'm seeing it less mainstream and, you know, but this is the the, the world I live in. Um, so people who, I've, I've, you know, I, I get a lot of clients coming to me and they're still on their PPIs and they're still taking their Rennies and they, and it really takes, it takes about between four and 10 days to sort that out naturally, which isn't profitable for, mm -hmm. for pharmaceutical companies, obviously, but it's, it's, it's wonderful for human beings to know they can control their digestion and they're able to suffer from bloating and pain, which is, which is key. So I also get a lot of clients who say, well, I can't eat dairy, so I can't eat yogurt, but you know, it's not the yogurt that you buy off the shelf at the, the average supermarket. So you've got you've got water kefir and you've got dairy kefir. And as you said earlier, that the bacteria pre-digests the lactose. So there should be like trace amounts of lactose left. So it shouldn't actually cause somebody with real lactose intolerance any issue, should it? Correct. And what we recommend then is if you were buying a product like ours, uh, you want to ensure firstly that it's made with live kefir cultures for maximum probiotic diversity. But what you can do is if you buy the more kefirs, take it home and leave it out of the fridge for an additional 12 hours. Just open the lid and leave it on top and that will ensure you've got zero lactose left at all. We also make a coconut milk kefir. So for those who want something a little bit different or are vegans or people who are lactose intolerant and don't even want to try the milk, uh, they can try the coconut milk kefir or they can drink a water kefir. And you can, look, you can make all kinds of kefirs. You can make nut milk kefirs if you want to, coconut milk, water kefir at home. But if you're using the cultures yourself, you need to just remember that every third or fourth ferment, you must take it back to its original food source. Otherwise, your grains are going to deplete and die off quite quickly. So a, a kefir culture, if you're making your own kefir at home, it, you can have it indefinitely. You, it's something you buy once and you just keep making over and over again. Fortunately for us, people are busy, so we get to make the kefir for them, and we hope that they like it, but people can make their own as well. It reminds me of making a sourdough starter. So it's the same thing. You, you've got your yeast, and you create the sourdough, and you just scrape the top off, and you refresh it every couple of weeks, and you can keep that starter for, for decades, frankly. So it's the same thing. It also smells. It also crawls out of the bowl if you don't watch it, and it's the same principle. You know, it's it's the gas that makes the bread rise, but it's also good for your tummy. And, you know, people who've got gluten intolerance seem to do well with sourdough because you've fermented all the gluten out, out of the product as well. It's how humans were meant to, um, to feed themselves and we're meant to be full of bacterial colonies. So... Just to go back to how you you started and what triggered this process for you. I mean, I um, I mean, you you put you producing a product now for 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 retail. You've got products in shops and, and um, you're creating an online store, so it's widely available for anybody who's interested. I know you know there are people listening who are going to go and try and make their own kefir, and it's not going to last more than a few days and weeks. Um, you know, how many of us have got yogurt machines and all sorts of things that we've tried? I'd rather buy stuff that I know has been made properly from someone who's passionate about it and has all the, you know, the protocols in place. So that's my preference. I don't want to go make keep. I'd rather buy it from you. So what got you into understanding how to do this on a large scale? You've got to have um, health certificates and processes and there's 
what was the homework that it took for you to build this business? So we started in my kitchen, me and the Kiefer. And in the early days, we uh, when I first started, it was literally I would buy like 24 bottles and make 24 bottles and sell it to Irene Farm. They were one of our one of my first customers. So I'd buy the milk from them, ferment it, and then come back like two or three days later with their with their kefir. But over a period of time, so our need for, for kefir grew. Originally, we only used raw milk. We prided ourselves on only using raw milk, and we had a great dairy that supplied us. The two old fogies that ran the dairy had been doing it for 40 years, and they were ending their dairy days. Uh, so we, we then moved over to a new raw milk supplier. But as demand grew, we were no longer able to supply raw milk because we couldn't always guarantee source and you don't want to be taking a chance with people's health. So currently, we are now seven years in. We're definitely not in my kitchen anymore. We've been in a, a little factory now for a few years, and we've just recently moved into a bigger factory, food safe factory space. We have something called our Intertech Audit, which means we have met the highest level of food safety required. So even though we're working with a fermented product, which is alive, we have to make sure that our space is sanitized and clean and food safe. That our packaging, we have something called that you get a COC or a COA from every single supplier, which is them confirming that the product they've sold you or the packaging or the labeling or the sugar or whatever it is you're using in is safe. So it's really, really important to ensure that we have that food safety up and down. And then we also have a QC, a professional qualified QC who ensures that we at all times are following all the good food manufacturing processes so we can ensure product gets out to our customers safe. What we do have a challenge with is the cold chain. So because the product is, what makes it so good is the same thing that makes it so unstable, is that it's very, very alive. So we ask people to just keep it cold, keep it at below four degrees. And even in the retailers, we ask the guys to turn your fridges down. If you've got fermented products in the fridges, turn your fridges down to like zero. You'll find that your products last a lot longer. An interesting fact, Nikki, is we keep retention samples as part of our food safety process. We keep retention samples and we will regularly test the product at six months. So we mark products at 14 weeks for, for yeah. selling, but we will test product at six months and it's still drinkable. That's great. And that's the bacteria that the fermenters maintain the product. So where do you get a milk product that in six months you can still drink? That's amazing because it's amazing. You, typically it's amazing. in food manufacturing, you'd use stabilizers and all sorts of synthetics to keep something shelf stable. And that's what ruins most consumer products yeah. from a health perspective. And the fact that you can use the bacteria to do this is Incredible. And it's, you know, this is the way things have to go because we're not going to survive if we carry on making food like we have been. So that is really amazing yes. to know that, you know, six weeks, six months down the line, it's it's still shelf stable as long as it's stored at the right temperature. And you know, we all see these labels, these, right. these warnings, please keep it in a cool, dry place. There's a reason for this, actually. <laughs> It'll explode all over the place if you don't. People don't think of that. It's actually, you need to put this on the label. Yeah. So our lid has a, a little a comment on there that says, please open slowly. And I still watch people every time we do a promo that, and it's everywhere. So the milk kefir doesn't, doesn't do it like the water kefir does, but the water kefir 
So let's talk about water kefir for a little bit if we can. So water kefir is a two-step ferment process. We do a first ferment where we don't get any kind of uh, carbonation happening. But when we go to the second ferment, that's when we add the flavoring. So here you can put fruit, you could use a fruit juice. We use a, a fresh fruit and a, a fruit syrup, which has sugar in it, but no preservatives. The kefir eats the sugar. So you never have to worry that kefir is a high sugar drink. It's actually a low sugar drink. And the bacteria have started to convert that sugar into something else. So your body accepts it quite easily. But in your second step of water kefir fermentation, we get carbonation. So we do our second step, we ferment for 48 hours. We harvest the kefir, meaning we take the pieces of the fruit out because we find that uh, the average consumer doesn't like floaty bits in their drink. So we remove the floaty bits, bottle it, and then we actually leave it out the fridge for anywhere between 6 and 24 hours, depending on which one it is, until the bottles reach a certain pressure and then we refrigerate. So that carbonation that you find in a traditionally made water kefir is naturally carbonated. You do get products on the market which have been artificially carbonated. They do this to create a more shelf-stable product. Uh, I don't think you're going to get the same benefits that you would get from a naturally fermented product, but obviously there is a place in the market. Yeah, and I think them. people need to be aware that if you go into a shop and you see kefir on the shelf at a, at a well-known, you know, sh- supermarket is to question their manufacturing process and how much of it is added and how much, you know, just look at the label um, alone to see if it's a naturally fermented product as well, because yeah, there's there's lots of uh, greenwashing going on. And if you can call something kefir or kombucha and put it on a shelf, people think it's all the same and it's not all the same. And you'll generally get a better product out of a, oh. a smaller, less known label for now, less known. Um, so yeah, it's, it's again, consumer awareness. It's, it's really the key and it's my biggest passion is getting people to just ask questions and then you'll be better off. Definitely, definitely. So where to from here? So you've got this amazing product and you're getting it into retailers and we're getting the word out. What is next on your radar? Well, we'd like to expand our kefir range and bring out some dips. We've got a plan for some kefir dips in 2022, which you can then either dip your chip or your veggies, but you can also use it for those who are eating bread on a sandwich. So a friend of mine, that's how she gets her kefir into her kids' lunch boxes. She puts it on the bread and then loads it with the other goodies so her kitties are eating it that way. We definitely want to do a kid's range of kefir in the little sippy, squishy packs so that the little ones have something that speaks to them because they are very much about what it looks like. They want to look at it. And I'm hoping to collaborate in 2022 and start to educate more. If we can help children, even from nursery school level, understand that Lucy yes. Lactobacillus is her friend and a little bit more about what Lucy Lactobacillus does in her tummy and why it's important that she has bacteria and what bacteria do because we grew up thinking bacteria were terrible. And when I first got into kefir and I thought I'm drinking live bacteria, like am I crazy, until I realized how much of our body is live bacteria. I mean, I think it's is it 100 to 1? Nikki, was it 1,000 to 1 that we outnumber bacteria to human cells? If we understand what that bacteria do for us, we might be a little bit less driven to antibacterial everything around us. So finding out that 85% of our serotonin is made in our gut, that means if people have anxiety and depression and insomnia, 
you should be dealing with their gut before you start putting them on, on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. First, first place, get into the gut, get them eating properly, get that gut balanced, and you'll start noticing people are sleeping and they're less aggressive. And they might not even need to take the antidepressants, which are going to cause more problems for the gut in the long run anyway. So education is vital. Yeah, and what you said earlier about the stress in the tummy, and it is, it's a, it's a super highway from, from the gut to the brain. And when we feel nervous or stressed or tense, it's, I mean, any child who's feeling upset will say they've got mm-hmm. a tummy ache. And I think, you know, what you said again earlier about education is, you know, getting to little children and explaining, you know, when you do have a tummy ache and you're not feeling happy, there's a connection and getting to them to understand the mind-body connection from a young age is so empowering. I think it's critically important. And also to get kids used to, you know, First foods are critically important. And when moms can give their children soured fermented foods for as early as possible, you're doing your children an enormous favor because they develop a taste for fermented foods instead of just developing a taste for lollipops or, you know, processed foods, which is where it goes. And then you're stuck with a kid who just wants chicken nuggets for the rest of its life and won't try other tastes and flavors. And this is the reason why children are getting sick and they're becoming obese and there is ADHD and all sorts of things is because it starts with first foods. Um, there's so much we can talk about just with kids alone, but that's not for today. But I really believe that bringing out a line of children's products and first foods, um, will, you'll be doing the world a service um, and you'll be keeping kids healthier because you know, it affects their, 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 their sinuses and their you know tonsillitis and grommets and ear infections are all connected to what we eat and how much mucus we produce. And if you put if you're not overly producing mucus because your tummy isn't aggravated by the foods you eat and you're actually giving the right bacteria back into the gut, you're going to save yourself a lot of stress mm-hmm. and heartache as a parent, and your kids are going to suffer less. So just giving you know, I, I did this with my daughter. She grew, she was weaned on about many many foods, but Raw, raw milk was one, goat's milk was another, and natural yogurt. And she ate them all up as a kid, and she had was very seldom ill. Um, she's still a kid, and now she's fighting back, but we all, she loves the kefir, by the way. So I have to say, well done, because she's very fussy. So, yeah, it's really important for parents to to explore these avenues to keep so the kids for, for a small child, and, I mean, I see it a lot, especially with little Little girls, I don't know, maybe you know why girl children suffer with constipation more than boy children, but little girls, to go and get your child to now, you have to put a suppository in because they can't go to the toilet, is traumatic for the parents and the kid. Imagine Horrible. it just, mm. hi, sweetie, here, drink this. And we make, I mean, we make our flavored milk kefirs as low sugar as we can. So if you give your little girl a small little tot glass size of a beautiful light pink Berry flavored milk kefir. She's drinking that every day. She's not going to have a constipation problem, and neither you or the kid are going to be traumatized by the suppository process or the screaming. I mean, we've all—if you've had small children, you know what it's like to have that screaming kid on the toilet, thinking they're dying because now they they've got to pass this thing. It's horrible, absolutely horrible. No, it's 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 terrible, and it is all food. And yeah, you feel like you're abusing your child, and you're just trying to help them. But yeah, it's it's. I think I think it's boys and girls, but girls tend to communicate it better. Boys tend to just forget about it, but they still have these problems. So yeah, I would highly suggest to any parents listening out there who have kids with bloating and tummy aches and eczema and itchy skins and 
all of these things that we go and slap on a cortisone is to first just try and get some fermented yeah. foods, proper fermented foods, not pseudo fermented foods, you know, into their diet. And I think you're going to save yourself a lot of stress and heartache. And at least, you know, you're doing something good for your child. It would be great if we could get to a point where we have products with this available in the mass market for kids. But if the children are not educated or it's not super cool and hip, they don't necessarily choose it off the shelf. So it comes down to people sharing their stories with other people. Uh, we had a client of ours who, this is quite a personal thing, but she suffered with very, very bad thrush. She had bad thrush. By the time she got to us, she bought one of the kefir kits we were selling and she came onto a call to ask me for advice. And she then told me her story. So we then followed her through a year with her and we recently got a message where she just thanked us she said she now has a life so before she got onto kefir she said she couldn't have a relationship she her thrush was so bad and she tried everything so you must imagine how many medical treatments she tried which were not so when you go to the chemist and you say i have thrush they don't say well let's introduce some bacteria they say let's wipe out all your bacteria now, if you've got no bacteria in that region, you're going to have a problem. Yeah, it's not uncommon. And also candida flourishes not only, um, it's also flourishes in the gut, so in yeah. the tummy where you've got lots of bloating, but also in the mouth. And many, many people don't realize they have candida overgrowth in the mouth. Mm-hmm. You see it a lot with children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's men and women. It, everyone thinks this is just just for women, it's it does. You do get a bacterial change uh, when you go into menopause or you're premenstrual, but it shouldn't become systemic candida. And that is a dietary problem. And it is a bacterial, the wrong kind of overgrowth. So yeah, and yes, I can understand when people are so just finished and you want to obliterate that candida bacteria, but at the same time, you've got to replenish the healthy bacteria. Otherwise you'll never get out of that cycle. And I've never met anyone we can't cure um, with the right protocol. So it's just knowing where to start and doing it and being consistent. Especially because we live in such a high stress, um, high stress environment. We're also completely overusing sanitizers with the time that we're living in. You're breathing in. So you're killing your microbiome from your mouth all the way down. I've noticed if I go out to the shops, whether I'm wearing a mask or not, when I come back at the end of the day, my throat is sore because I have breathed in all of the sanitizer, which is killing the balance in my throat. So something that was very interesting, one of the reasons I love gut health so much is what I've learned about it. So the two things I've learned, one was that in your throat, we all have strep in our throats. Every single one of us has strep in our throats. And strep's not a problem when it's living with all its other friends and they're all agreeing about who's got which block and we're all taking care of it. Now we expose our throats to something like sanitizer, complete overuse, and suddenly we've got strep throat because we didn't have the other friends that kept the strep under control. And I think you are in a perfect position to invent a, a nasal, a bacterial nasal spray to put back some of these healthy bacteria or to balance the the the, the mucosal layers in the in the nose and in the sinuses. Mm-hmm. Because we get all these sea sprays and all, which is fantastic, but there's nothing with. Um, something that restores the microbiome of of the airways, of of our noses and our throats and our sinuses. And especially living in a place like Joburg, 
where people are prone to um, sinus problems because of the the dirt in the air and the the amount of chemicals in the air here. I think that would be an amazing thing to get right. And I think you'll make billions if you can do that. It's just to not it's not a medicine. It's more of a food for your 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 nose nasal passage. We had a client come through her and her husband. She had severe sinus infections, like very severe sinus infections. She was taking antibiotics almost continuously. And she had picked up on the internet somewhere where somebody had told her to use milk kefir. So she was taking a cotton wool bud on a daily basis. She would dip it in her milk kefir, stick it into her nose, breathe in. And she said, as long as she was doing that, her sinus infection was gone. Yeah, we are meant to be full of bugs, actually. So, yeah, I think that will be your next product that I'm going to make sure you you get out there because people are desperate. And this is, you know, we are inhaling sanitizers. It is doing us no good. Um, I can understand why, but it's also creating a disruption. So where can people get hold of your product? Okay, so we have a website called the NUMISA. I'm going to spell it for you. That's N-U-M-E-S-A. You can call us NUMISA if you can't remember NUMISA. We're also available in the Gauteng region in most of the health shops, the delis, quite a few of the super spas, all the wellness warehouses. So there's products available in quite a lot of stores. If you go onto our Facebook page, which is NUMISA Kiefer, right at the top, you'll be able to see a list of all the retailers that stock our products. And then we also sell cultures. So if people want to make their own, if they're those kind of people who have sourdough starters in their fridges, they're the same kind of people who'd want to grow kefir. If you are fermenting kefir at home, keep your kefir and your kombucha on opposite sides of the kitchen or your kefir will start growing a kombucha scoby. That is so interesting. How did you find that out? People phoned me and sent me pictures and then I did some research and since then I've seen it because I'm on obviously quite a few of the, the culture groups on Facebook and I see it quite often and now we know. It's just keep your kefir on the left and your kombucha on the right. Don't put them next to each other. Ferments do cross-pollinate definitely. So clams out of one bowl and into another, which is why you need to keep things in your fridge covered. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Drives me nuts when I see uncovered things in a fridge. It's like, oh, you just you're just gonna kill yourself if you carry on like that. So, <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so interesting. Okay, and it's obviously available at Jackson's. Anyone in Joburg listening? No Jackson's. Okay, and Irene Farm. So, uh, Irene Farm. For those of you who don't know, you can get amazing raw milk from Irene Farm as well. Okay. Yeah, they've got certified raw milk. Yes, we are very fortunate to live in a country where it's not illegal to buy and supply raw milk and it is very valuable, very, very good for you. Um, if you, like you said, get it from the right supplier, you can't just go and no. jump into a field milk account and hope for the best. It's not going to work very well. Yeah. So, Brian, thank you for your time. I've learned so much today. This has been really fascinating and we're going to get the message out there and hopefully get people buying kefir from you and maybe trying to make their own, but in the end, they'll all buy it from you because it's much easier. And yeah, go go with that first before you dive into, into the pharmaceuticals. Not to say there isn't a place for pharmaceuticals, but 
you know, there's so many other ways first before you go and kill your microbiome with things that are not necessary. And if you have a depression or an anxiety problem, you can drink kefir without it affecting your medicine, but you should notice that you start to feel better. And then eventually you can ask your doctor maybe to reduce your meds a little. No, that's that's very wise. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I can't wait to get this out on the air. Great. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcast, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review. 